Welcome to Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and equips you to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. John chapter 21, uh, if you're here today and I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, uh, my name is Rich and along with my wife Vanessa, we get the honor and the privilege to be the campus pastors here at Canyon Hills Slow. And uh, simply what that means is simply this, it's our goal, it's our aim, it's our objective to serve you, to serve you and your family and to come alongside of you in this journey called life and uh, be friends and mentors and prayer partners and everything else in between. I can't inhale slow, man, when people ask, what are you guys all about? We're about three things. We believe in intimacy with God, community with other believers, and influence in our world. We believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Everyone say, my life. It's got a plan and purpose for it. We also believe that the Bible answers every question you'll ever have in life. So we spend time every single week talking about the Bible, reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible. So I just want to say this. If you're here today and you don't have a Bible, I want you to come find me after service. We'd love to give you one. And we'd love to see you journey with us week in and week out as we uh, talk about the greatest person who ever walked the face of the planet. His name is Jesus. We have a saying around here. We started it last week, so I'm going to reintroduce it, but we believe this to be true. If Jesus can't fix your problem, it can't be fixed. So I'm going to say the first part. You say the second part. If Jesus can't fix it, come on, one more time. If Jesus can't fix it, it can't be fixed. We believe it to be true. All right, John chapter 21, here's what it says. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Some translations say he was angry. How many of you guys know it's a bad idea to get angry at Jesus? Probably not going to work out too well. He was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now in verse number 18, the story takes a turn. He said, most assuredly, I say to you that when you were younger, You girded yourself, and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you to where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And then when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who was also had leaned on his breast at the supper, and said, Lord... Who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, uh, this part just gets me every time, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is it to you? Jesus' way of saying, this is an A and B conversation, and you can see, don't know why I did that, but it came out and I can't take it back. Jesus was saying, it's none of your business. You ever said that to your kids before, you know? It's like, no one? Okay, cool, just me. Pretty much said, it's it's nothing to you. And then he said to Peter, he said, will you follow me? Today, if you're taking notes, I want to speak to you from the subject of this. Nobody, everyone say nobody, can beat me at being me. We're going to say it together. Say nobody can beat me 
at being me. Sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it? We're going to have some fun today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we pray in Jesus' name that our hearts will be open, that our minds will be open, that we would receive from you. We would learn from you. And God, we would leave this place better when we leave. And it's in Jesus' name we pray in all God's people said. Amen and amen. Morgan, thank you very much. Church, can you give it up for our worship team? They, uh, they, do, they do such an amazing job uh, week in and week out. And because I am a type A personality, that thing was making a buzz. And there's no way I'm going to talk for the next 25 minutes with that thing going on. So, hey, so let me answer the question today. What is it that we are talking about today, okay? We read this opening passage of Scripture. We see this dialogue taking place. And there's a lot of different ways you can go with this passage of Scripture. But this is where... I felt God leading me this week. Today, we are talking on the subject of comparison. Everyone just say comparison. Okay, now more specifically, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about comparing ourselves one to another. Now, the definition of comparison is simply this. It's the act of comparing two or more people or things to examine in order to note similarities and differences. So you're taking two things or two people... And you're starting to compare them. You're starting to look at their strengths, their weaknesses, or you're looking at two different objects and you're determining what's different, what's better, what's stronger, whatever the case may be. On the surface with this definition, it seems, it seems pretty harmless, huh? It's like, okay, cool, we're going to compare stuff. But if we were to look between you and I and me and you, or if you were to look around this room, or maybe at your job, or, or maybe in our city, or maybe on a team, or maybe at school... Have you noticed how easy it is to play the game of comparison? Who has this compared to who doesn't have this? Who's good at that and, who's, and who's, who's bad at that? I think if we dig a little bit deeper, we would all agree that talking about comparison and when it comes to one another, it can be pretty harmful. Comparison can be a very tough thing. How many times have we compared other people's highlights and devalued what was going on in our lives? You, you ever been there before, where you just compare and you begin to maybe belittle, belittle somebody else or maybe even belittle y- yourself? When, when I say that the topic that nobody can, can beat me at being me, it tends to lend to this whole other side of it's me and I'm greater than other people or I'm, I'm lesser than. So two different emotions begin to take place. So when talking about this idea of comparison today and understanding what it is, I think there's something that we really need to know. Now, I'm always answering three questions in every message. What are we talking about? What do we need to know? And then what do we need to do? So that every single week when you take notes and you listen, those are the only three questions that we're answering. we got to know, man, what are we talking about today? And then when it comes to you and I, specifically from God's word, what is it that I need to know about this topic? If we say that Jesus can fix anything, if we say that God's word has the answer for absolutely everything, that we need to define what it is that we need to know about the topic that we're talking about. So in the form of comparison, here's what we need to know, and you can write this down. Comparison destroys my contentment towards God and his goodness in my life. Comparison destroys my contentment towards God or more specifically, towards God's goodness in my life. If you remember the words of the Apostle Paul, he said this about contentment in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He said, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Everyone say content. I know how to be abased, 
And I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So the Apostle Paul says here, look, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little or whether things are going good or whether things are going bad, the Apostle Paul puts this thing into motion in the New Testament in his writings to say this, as Christians, as believers, we need to learn to be the same exact way when things are really going good and when things are really, really going rough. How, how many of you guys notice though, it's really easy to go down when you feel the boat is sinking. And, and it's almost like it's not even really hard to be happy when things are going good because I think we all know there's a longing inside of us that says, hey man, being happy is a whole lot better than being miserable. And everybody said, hey man, it's draining to be miserable. It's draining to have a bad attitude. It's draining to be um, a, a type of person that just complains and complains and complains and complains. Have you noticed that? But, but, but there's something about this idea of saying, hey, you know what? Life is rough right now, but all things are going to be okay. Because God is good. He's still on the throne. He's not surprised by anything. You guys know that? God doesn't look down from heaven and go, whoop, didn't see that coming. It's not how it works. He's a good God. The Bible says all good things come from above. And the Apostle Paul puts this thing into motion of, hey, let, let's learn to be content. Let's get personal here for a moment. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been scrolling through social media and come across a person you know, a person who's well-known, and thought to yourself, why can't my life look like theirs? Be honest. We're going to do it today in church. Show of hands. You ever done that before? You ever seen someone's life, maybe not on social media, maybe on television, or maybe from afar, Well, when you look at their life, you just ask the question like, man... How in the world did things work out so good for them, and why in the world am I struggling the way that I'm struggling? I'll pick on the guys here for a moment, okay, because that's always a good place to start before you start picking on ladies, uh, at least if I want you guys to be happy today when you leave. It could be a friend or a colleague. It could be a celebrity, an athlete, and it just seems like everything they do, it just, it just turns to gold, okay? Now, I'm not going to get too carnal, but it's like I almost want to stop following The Rock's social media page because the guy's just so cool and everything seems to be working out, you know? It's like, how do I get that big and how do I have that smile and how do I just, how do I just have the guy's life? I mean, obviously, I, I want to be just, anyway, so maybe that could just mean, now you guys know, I have issues. I remember I was young in ministry. When you're young in ministry, there's one of the biggest things you battle, and it's called insecurity. You, you battle it hard. Matter of fact, a lot of us, if we're honest, we, we battle with some type or form of, of insecurity. So I can remember as a young youth pastor going, okay, I know God's called me to do this, and I know I can do this. I've got great mentors. I've got great help. I've got God's word. Surely I could win with that. And, uh, but it was hard because social media just started rolling out. Facebook started up, and there was this one thing called MySpace, and that wasn't as, as intricate as what we have now today. So back on, if you're curious about the world of MySpace, you would pick like your theme song that just says, this is who I am, and you'd find some of you laughing because you know, like, I, it would be funny to go back and see what your first song selection was on that thing, okay? And so uh, anyway, so you had your music, and you got to put some stuff out there, but then Facebook took off, and then Twitter came along, and then it eventually Instagram and Snapchat and everything else that's out there and Pinterest and LinkedIn and where, where, where in the world are we going to stop? I mean, how many more channels do we need to let people know, this is what I'm feeling today. This is what I'm doing today. Look at this broccoli. I ate it. I feel good. You know, it's like how many more channels do we really need to, to make that happen? But I, I can remember 
Facebook comes out and all these youth pastors, man, they were just posting pictures of their, their youth services and their events and all the cool things that they were doing. And I was like, man, what in the world? I'm not even close to that. And so immediately you start to play this comparative game. I think social media has done a tremendous job at sabotaging people of their destiny because they look at people who we think got it together and think, I want to be like them, only to find out you'll never be like them because God made you to be you and nobody can beat you at being you. So social media is a really good job of painting a picture sometimes of who you should actually not be. And that's what I found out. I found out that if I started comparing myself to these youth pastors and looking at what they were doing and why I'm not doing it, that what happened was is my self-confidence went lower and lower and lower and lower and insecurity crept in. And how many of you guys know, I'm talking so fast, I'm going to slow it down. You will never be secure if you're always battling with insecurity. And insecurity comes from comparing yourself to other people and their highlight reels. It's not really good. Ladies, you're scrolling through social media. You're looking at these other ladies, and, man, they're, they're like super moms, man. They're just pulling everything off. It's like every picture, it seems like they have their own personal photographer who follows them around. They have the right filter on the app on their phone to just make it look pretty. Full-time photographer. They must have a makeup artist because their makeup looks good even when they wake up in the morning. Oh, just woke up. Ladies going, how do they do that? Clothing, designer clothing, not to mention they have perfect hair, a perfect face, perfect body, their car. If it is a, uh, if it is a van, it's a pretty van. Back in the day, it's a town and country van. It's got, it's, it's got the videos in the back so the kids can entertain themselves. And now we've got mid-sized SUVs, so now we've kind of upped our game a little bit. And it just look, it's clean all the time. I mean, they've got five kids in the back of the car, and their car is perfectly clean. What world are they living in? This makes sense. They're kids. They're always presentable. They come to church on Sunday. Their shirts are pressed. Their hair is done. Their teeth are clean. They're obedient. They sit. They listen. How in the world do they listen? Did I mention that these moms, they also get the perfect nap every single Sunday. And when they wake up, their kids are quietly playing in their rooms. The room's actually picked up. The little kid comes out and goes, Mom, I hope you enjoyed your nap. You know what? Just stay there. I'm going to cook you dinner. Did I also mention I'll clean the dishes too? Who has that? Nobody. But man, sometimes when you're scrolling through, you're just, that's, that's the perception and the persona that we like, man, they've got that all going together. Come on, am I the only one that's like thought those thoughts and been there and, and just got to a place where I'm like, ah, everything's working on all cylinders. No, it's not. The cylinders are broken. It's like, you know, it's like when you really, like, strip it back and think about it, you know, much of our marketing dollars really portray a world that really... It just don't exist. And if it does, it's maybe for a day or two. That's, that's all you got. It's like I tell my boys every time, it's like, guys, now here's the deal. We're, we're going to do a series on the family, okay, a series on the family. It's going to be a four-week series. So for the next four weeks, I need you to have it all together. <laughs> Vanessa, I learned this from Pastor Wendell. It's so good. Now, Vanessa, we've got to stop fighting over little things, especially on Sunday on the way to church because... We, we, we got to be the perfect family because we're speaking on family. We got we to have it together, right? 
No, nah, it doesn't work that way. It's like, man, you start speaking on subject. I, mean, I was talking to Derek this past week. Last week we talked on stress, and I made a, I, I made a statement last, last week. I said, we're going to speak on stress, and I'm going to tell you what happens when you leave this place. You're going to get stressed because the enemy is going to come after you. He's going to try to devalue God's word, and sure enough, he finds me on Wednesday night. He's like, thanks a lot for preaching on stress, Pastor Rich. <laughs> Crazy, stressful week. It's like, man, it wasn't me, man. It was the devil. I mean, the devil after you, man, wasn't me. But these, 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 these picture lives, and really what it boils down to is it, just, it, it boils down to this whole idea of I'm just comparing my life, and, and I'm not content in who I am. I, I want you to write this down, and we'll leave it up on the screen for a moment. You'll never be content on the inside if you're always looking at what, at what other people have on the outside. Because here's the thing. If you don't know them, you don't know what's going on on the inside. All you're seeing is their highlights, their good moments. And when you begin to compare what you can only see on the outside, it begins to affect you on the inside. So, so what we need to know today as we get ready to get forward into what the Bible says about comparison and then to our need to know is we have to know that comparison destroys my contentment towards God's goodness in my life. If I could just pause here and say this, do you have one thing in your life that you can say, thank you God for? We would all say, yes, we would. Are you content about it? Would it be enough? Is it enough? That, that's the trick. That, that's the lesson. No matter how much or how small, God, I am so content in what you've done. Your goodness towards me has been so good. It's not a cliche statement. I, will, I would much rather say this statement every single week and get you sick and tired of this statement than not say it at all. But here's the deal. If all I had in my life was the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross, rose again, and is in heaven today praying on my, on my behalf, if that's all I had, I am a very content man. Because at the end of the day, that's all that counts. My, my, listen, your eternity, my eternity, is based off the fact of, of that and that alone, nothing else. Everything else is just like God's like blessing above and beyond. It's the icing on the cake, or as Jacob would say, Dad, where is my cherry on top of my ice cream? Like it's coming. Jesus and Jesus alone. All right, so here's the question. What, what does the Bible say? about comparison. Let's get to some scriptures real quick. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. For we do not dare class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, watch what it says right here, they're not wise. So we're not to compare, not to do that. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4, but, but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Don't compare. James three sixteen, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. That whole idea of jealousy, that comparing, what is it, what is it coming? It's, it's just an evil. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. I love this one. It says, a heart at peace in content. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. God's word is so clear on comparison, and what it really boils down to is it really doesn't benefit you. Comparison never will. Why compare yourselves to others? Think about this. No one in the entire world can do a better job of being you than you. 
Why try to be somebody else when the best you can be is you? Or why try to be like them and just be a copy when you can be an incredible, incredible original of being yourself? I'm telling you, I tell people this all the time, when you sacrifice who you are, the world misses out on what you have to offer. You may not feel very good about yourself. You may shame yourself a lot. You may tell yourself consistently that, you know what, I just don't have what it takes. And what happens is, is what you don't understand is you're devaluing God's goodness in your life, but the gift and who you are that's meant for others around you who don't know Christ, they're missing it. Look at me, friends. Who you are matters. It matters. And when you start to realize that it does matter, God starts to, to use you in amazing ways. But you got to get rid of that whole comparison deal. In our opening scripture, we see this, this interaction with Jesus and Peter. Now, Jesus has already been crucified. He's already raised from the dead. And when we see the story, it's the third time that he's appeared to this group. Th- third time. And the reason that he appears is because he has some, some unfinished business to attend to with a specific man by the name of Peter. Now, we know in the story that Peter, being the one that he is, he decided to be the one that was going to deny the Christ. He, he did it three times. The rooster crowed, and he locked eyes with Jesus. And um, Scripture even says, too, that I mean, he got so upset in this whole deal that he actually cursed out a little girl. I mean, he was, he, he was, he was shook. Everyone say, he was shook. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, he got shook up. Some of you are like, why are you talking like that? I don't know. It's just coming out, okay? So Jesus has to come back, and Jesus has to have a conversation. I think when you look at the conversation, it shocked Peter. Because in this conversation, Jesus says these words. He says, when you were a young man, you went where you wanted to go, but but when you get older, they will take you where you don't want to go. What's he speaking about? Jesus is speaking of the way that Peter is going to to die. Church church history tells us that Peter suffered a horrible death of being crucified uh, upside down. And I don't don't know about you, but how would you like to be called to a meeting with Jesus, like Peter in this moment, and, you know, they're on the shore, and Jesus is cooking breakfast, and they're having a talk. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. And, oh, hey, by the way, Peter, I just wanted to let you know, the way you're going to die, it's going to be bad. It's like, hey, thank you, Jesus, so very much for that. You know, it's like I don't want to be in a prayer time with God, and God just goes like, hey, I just thought I'd fill you in a little bit. This is how this is going to go. Wouldn't feel too encouraged in that moment. But here's the question is, why would Jesus tell Peter this? And I, I, I thought about that question. Why does, why does Jesus feel that it's important for Peter to know that he's going to die a, a tough death? And the reason that I've come up with is because I think Jesus was dealing with something in Peter's life that needed to be dealt with because the first time a hard time came, he was a coward. He denied the Christ. And I think Jesus needed to set this straight because he was going to say there's going to be another time coming where they're going to come after you. And I don't want you to do what you did right there. I want you to be bold. I want you to be full of courage. So Jesus takes on this conversation and I think if we look at it, Jesus starts to drill in on this whole idea of insecurity. And the question is, is where does the insecurity show its face in the story? Some of you might know because you've put the pieces together, but Jesus is telling Peter about his way of dying, and what does Peter do? 
thanks, Jesus. But um, I was actually kind of curious about John over here. Remember how it talked about the disciple in whom Jesus loved? Did you notice that John called himself that, by the way? It's like, uh, he, in the book of John, the disciple that Jesus loved. John, you're writing the book about you, pal. <laughs> Great story. I'd love to be around that guy. Peter's like the crazy one. John's like the conceited one, right? You know, I'm going to write a book on myself and call myself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And of course, Jesus loved him. But Peter takes the focus off of himself and starts to play the compare game and goes, hey, Jesus, great, wonderful. Not quite sure what it fully means, how it's going to happen. Okay, I'm going to die. But what about John? And then so what does Jesus say, right? It's none of your business. What happens to John? So then the compare game and the insecurity game begins to take place, and Jesus begins to drill in because Peter was an insecure man. When you read the Gospels, one of the most common conversations or, or scripture records is just how much the disciples really love talking about themselves. Hey, Jesus, um, when I get to heaven, can I sit right here with you? Can I be the one? Jesus goes, hey, there's a betrayer, but who, who is it, right? The conversation always seemed to stem around this whole idea of talk about me or is it me? And the focus is me, me, me. Especially the topic of who's the greatest. You ever had that conversation take place where someone goes, hey, out of the brothers, like who's the one who can beat the other one up? You ever had that conversation? My family, man, we, 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 we settle that every Christmas. My uncle is one of the funniest guys I know. And every Christmas, we got boxing gloves. Every Christmas. And in front of the whole family, we put those things on. We went in the living room, and we just started swinging. I think that's missing from our culture today. I'm not advocating that, by the way. <laughs> not doing that. Everybody get your ribbon. Um, they're always about, like, who's the greatest? See, listen, whenever a person goes out of their way to talk up their greatness, it's usually a, a good sign of insecurity. Let me tell you how great I am. Bible says to let people speak well of you. Your job is not to tell people how good you are. You know what I mean? You ever just been around those people that just brag about themselves all the time? It's like, whew, knock this off. So you have John. You got the story taking place, but I want to get down to it, and then we'll we'll close our time. Jesus is restoring Peter to prepare him for the role that he's about to assume. He's going to go on and start the beginning of the early church, and he starts to turn his focus towards John. He starts to compare, just like we do. Start comparing and when we're not so good, talk about position and power and prestige and money and attractiveness and giftedness. And for some of us, we look at others and we feel ripped off about life and all this stuff taking place, but it begins to go. Here's the thing that I've noticed. You cannot compare and be used and be, and be God-focused at the same time. Let me say that again. You, you cannot compare and be God-focused at the same time. When we constantly compare ourselves with other people, we're walking in the flesh, and according to Romans chapter 5, it's an enmity between you and God. It causes you to be offended towards God. I've heard people say, I'm, 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 just, I'm, I'm, I'm upset with God. Well, well, why? Because I don't feel I was really gifted to do much. Like that person. That whole idea of comparison. So what I want to do real quick is I want to, give you some points on how to break free from comparison, and they're very quick points. 
I think I've set the, the foundation, the framework for what it is, what the Bible says that it is. But for you, if you're here today battling comparison or insecurity, you're going to have to walk out of these doors. And I, I just want to give you some tools to do so. So the first thing I want you to write down is I want you to write down this. Understand that no one is the whole package. No one. No matter how good they look, what they got going on, no one's, no one's the whole package. You see, sometimes we see, think, we see people and we think, man, what a life. What a life they've made. I'd love to have that life. But we don't understand what's going on behind the scenes. We don't understand the pain they've endured, the letdowns they've endured, the people who have spoke ill about them that they've had to endure. We just look at what's going good, but we don't see the backstory to it, right? You ever met somebody or, or been to a, a, a celebration service of life and, and heard stories about this person who did this and this and this and this, but then you, you begin to hear the whole backstory of everything they endured and it just had you just appreciate so much more the life and the legacy that they lived? Because there's been times where I've sat in those moments where I only knew of their greatness and their accolades and their accomplishments. But then I hear the stories behind the scenes of all the things that transpired and, and took place. It's always a false assumption to look at someone else's life and think they've got it made. Begin to think of people throughout the, the decades that when, it, when from the outside it looked good, but it did. I mean, think about the, the Kennedy's political dynasty. Lives that were just filled with tragedy. Begin to think about, you know, Robin Williams, one of my favorite actors of all time. Nobody would have never known the deep depression that he was going through before he took his life. Because all we see is, man, all the good things they do and all the success that they have. But you never know the battles they're facing behind the scene. T Tiger Woods, without a doubt, is one of my favorite golfers of all time. A lot of talent, but a lot of personal brokenness. It's a false assumption to look at somebody else's life and think, man, they've, they've got it made. No one's the whole package. Not me, not you. We all got stuff, amen? Look at your neighbor and say, I got some stuff. Look at your other neighbor and say, I've got more. <laughs> Number two. Number two is be grateful for God's process in your life. When it comes to this whole idea of comparison, be grateful for God's process in you right now for he who has begun a good work in you say good work will continue i'm paraphrasing the scripture here he'll continue to do it until you pass on god's not done with you i believe this to be true if you've got breath you've got life if you're not dead god's not done don't you give up on yourself don't you look down at the progress god's taken you through and don't you dare let anybody else do it either that will preach right there. Don't let other, pe other people's words stop your progress. Why do we do that? Let's have a heart to heart. Why do you do that? Who's working in you? You or God? The Holy Spirit. Don't let a person get in the way of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
might have to talk about that next week. Listen, something will never be right between you and God until you can thank him for who you are, what you are, and where you are. Nothing will be right until you can thank God for that. So maybe today the prayer needs to be, hey, God, thank you. Thank you for making me what I am. I thank you for those things that are in my life. And God, I thank you where? You've got me right where you want me. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's wondering why that scripture came out. Thankfulness is the healthiest emotion anyone can feel. Gratitude, being thankful, is powerful. Colossians 2, 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith as you have been taught, abounding it with, what's that word say? Thanksgiving. Listen, we would worry less if we praised more. God, I thank you. Yep, everything's falling apart in my family right now. Not being naive to it. But God, I thank you. You got the answer. And I praise you that you're going to lead me and you're going to guide me and it's not final. Sometimes, Lord, I praise you for these people that you've put in my life. Not talking about you, just in general. God, even though they annoy me, frustrate me, don't understand me. Again, not talking about you. This is just an example. Some of you might like shout this in the break room at your job. God, thank you. Because they're here to make me better. They just don't know it. Start to praise. Some of you that are married need to start praising God for your husband or if you have to for your wife. You need to start praising more about them. Got quiet. Be grateful. Everybody say, be grateful. Number three, celebrate the success of others. This one's huge. In other words, ask the Lord to make you the kind of person who rejoices in God's blessings on other people's lives. When they get the job promotion that you're still waiting on, Bless them with your words. I'm so happy for you. And listen, don't fake it. If anybody ever tells you you got to fake it till you make it, tell them no. That's lame. Because that means I don't really mean it. I hate that bumper sticker. Goodness, no. But there's something powerful when you say, man, I'm so excited you got that job. Man, I'm I'm thankful. Even in the midst of like, I need that job, (laughs) right? Man, celebrate the success of other people. Put the focus on them. Take it off you. Look at Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We're very good at the next part, weeping with those who weep. It's easy to come alongside when someone's having a hard time. Come along when people are succeeding in life. Could be hard, but I believe God will give you the grace and the ability to do so. Trust me, there was nobody missing Timmy Smith this morning than I was while I was on that drum set. I am very thankful for the gift that that young man has, and I will be letting him know today because I have no idea what the heck I was doing back there except the whole time thinking, where's Timmy? (laughs) Celebrate him. Celebrate what he's good at. I look across this room, and man, I celebrate so many of you for the great parents 
that you are, the great marriages you have, the legacy that you're living and leaving, the dedication you have to going to school for countless hours and hours and hours. I mean, I look across this room, there's so many things in this place to celebrate. Celebrate that. And celebrate in the lives of others. It'll be awesome. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media to hear more about what God is doing through our church at Canyon Hills, San Luis Obispo. For more information, visit us at canyonhills.com.